2: And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam
1: Scalina, And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina.
2: And Matt, today we've got an incredible guest. I'm super excited. An
1: incredible guest that you may not have heard of. Yeah, we hadn't heard of him. Yeah, Adrian Byrne. So here's the story with Adrian. Podcast listener, reached out writing very engaging emails about the market knows a ton about the market knows a ton about the market he's originally from Australia originally from Sydney he's citing all sorts of stats and making comparisons between the markets really interesting so i said to him hey you know maybe you should be a guest on the podcast turns out he used to work for UDIA Australia so the urban development institute in Australia before he immigrated to uh, to squamish to vancouver and, right, and now squamish right. he doesn't even work in the industry anymore he's just a, what i'd call a keen observer
2: yeah but i mean he's got that that rich history that rich experience yeah in australia and, he, and so. he's
1: and he's a very bright guy yeah and very, and very very it's,
2: bright guy. it's actually a perfect timing to kind of talk about you know it, there's a lot of chatter going on about the market right now it's just a very interesting perspective to compare and contrast what's going on between cities like melbourne and sydney And Vancouver, and also just Australia and Canada in general.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a comparison that we often think of, and now we have somebody that knows tons about it on the program, so it's fantastic. For sure. But before we get to that, Matt,
2: we've got a listings, incentive, promotion, whatever you want to call it. It's exciting.
1: It's exciting. You're going to want to get in touch with us about this.
2: Absolutely. If you list your property with Scalina Real Estate before the end of the year, not only are we going to do an incredible market analysis and put together an excellent marketing strategy for you, but- there's also an incentive. There's yeah. more. There's so there, more.
1: there's more. There's more. We'll get you top dollar.
2: Sure. You'll Easy. be
1: thrilled yeah. and you're going to get Best an incentive at the, ever. End. the 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 promotion is the incentive at the end. We're not saying what it is on the podcast. Get in touch with us. You got to get in touch. You won't be disappointed. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, we're excited. So, so <laughs> you
2: you fumble in through I fumbled the, the uh, I fumbled the ball there. I'm just too ex- I just keep talking over you. I'm too excited about it. Get in touch. But Matt- Listing incentive yep. to the end of 2017. For sure. So Matt, hey, quickly before we get to Adrian yeah, Berg, yeah. we do have our <laughs> new segment, Brady D.
1: Just this the tip. This week's Just a Tip. Walking away from a deal can cost you way more than just your deposit.
2: Yeah. So Matt, let's unpack that a little bit. Sure. Okay. So we hear this all the time from listeners, and we hear this just in the industry in general. People thinking that if they purchased a property and they have a firm deal and they haven't completed on it yet, that if they walk away, they'll just lose their deposit.
1: Yeah, Okay. which is typically 5%. Yeah,
2: typically around 5%. But what they fail to think about is damages.
1: Yeah, so that the seller can sue you if the contract is firm and legally binding. Right. The seller can sue you for damages. Yeah, so not
2: only your deposit, but damages, whatever that may mean. And in this case, there was just a ruling by the BC Supreme Court uh, a couple weeks back. So there was a house in Surrey okay, East Newton, Okay, that sold just before the foreign buyer's tax. Are you with me? Yeah, so just a little more than a year ago. Yeah, so it sold for $1.26 million. Okay. Okay. Now, after the foreign buyer's tax was announced the buyer decided, you know what, I'm going to walk away from this deal.
1: And we don't know if it's necessarily because of the foreign buyer's tax or because of something else, but the long and short is- It could is- have to do with zoning. It could have, there could have been issues
2: that, that nobody's really talking about. The article suggested it had to do with the foreign buyer's tax. Okay, okay. Okay, so the buyer pulls the plug. He thinks, you know what, I'm on the hook for my 5%. Right. I can live with that. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, here's what happened. The new year comes. Mm-hmm. In February, they've been on the market now. This property has been on the market for almost six months or so. It ends up selling for $910,000. Wow, that's
1: that's 350K difference.
2: $350,000 less than what the initial purchase price was, the accepted offer, the firm deal. So what happened? So that original buyer, not only did he lose his deposit, he was on the hook for the spread. So $350,000 plus $10,000
1: carrying costs. So in the end, if I understand this, by signing a subject-free deal or removing subjects on that property and deciding, hey, I actually don't want to buy this, I made a right. mistake, this person is on the hook for three hundred and sixty k.
2: Yes, $360,000 was lost just in that purchase. It
1: was an expensive signature.
2: Okay, Matt, so there's a great tip for our listeners, but really, let's just get to our interview with Adrian Byrne. It's a great one.
1: Yeah, this is not to be
2: missed. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Adrian Byrne. How are you doing, Adrian?
0: Great, great. Hi, Matt. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me on. Yeah,
2: yeah, thanks Thanks for taking the time, Adrian. So, Adrian, can you start maybe just by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself?
0: Sure. Um, I, I am, uh, as you can tell by the accent, I am Australian. I, I started off my career as a, uh, as a town planner uh, for local government in Sydney. Uh, So a lot of what I was doing back then was working with developers when they were lodging their applications, reviewing their plans, making sure everything was in order, but also the natural resource aspects of the assessment process. So the particular area that I was working, there was a lot of koalas, uh, bandicoots, and and other Australian animals and wildlife. Uh, So if someone was putting in a backyard pool that might impact on that, um, my job would be to go out and, and see what that impact is and mitigate it.
1: That, that is a very specific Australian problem.
0: Really. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was a great job. Uh, it, it was in the particular council area where they film uh, a famous Australian soap opera called Home and Away, a uh, very beach, beachy type area. Nice. Um, after that job, I took a role as a policy advisor for the Urban Development Institute of Australia, uh, the industry body representing greenfield development and, and developers in, in New South Wales. Uh, In that role, uh, I work work closely on policy issues such as the planning system and advocating for reform to the planning system in in order to eventually build more supply in in the Sydney market, Uh, and other issues such as strata reform and and reducing the threshold to terminating the strata scheme from 100% down to 75%, which I think BC has recently introduced as well. Right. Uh, After that, I... In 2010, I immigrated to Vancouver, and I started a position with the Urban Development Institute, uh, the industry body that represents developers in, in the region here, uh, but more on the media relations and communication side. And presently, I'm working in oil and gas.
1: Adrian, just for curiosity's sake, why the move to Canada?
0: I was looking at purchasing a, a property, actually, in, in Sydney. Uh, it w- was my first property. It would have been my first property. And I, I kind of got cold feet. And decided I wasn't ready for, for that commitment and needed to do a bit more travel uh, before I settled down or, or, and bought property. Uh, that's, why, that's why I moved to Vancouver. Also, love of snowboarding in Whistler and, and places like Squamish and the mountains around here.
2: Yeah, we've heard there's a few Australians in Whistler.
0: <laughs> is. I think they're running the resort.
2: Um, so, just out of curiosity, agent. Um, so, UDI, can you explain that connection? Is is it the same institute in Australia as it is in Canada
0: or in they, Vancouver? They do kind of have a, re- a relationship, and and they're focused on on very similar areas. They both represent developers. I would say that the the core difference between the UDI in Vancouver versus the UDIa in Sydney. Uh, is that in Sydney, that that particular group represents greenfield developers more than infill de- developers. Uh, there's, there's a bit, bit more greenfield land in Sydney and uh, that that was what that organisation focuses on and issues around that. Uh, I think Vancouver is definitely more infill development. Uh, a lot of the same issues around affordability, taxes, low supply and, and uh, planning regulations as well. So a lot of similarities there. But the, the type of development, at its core, infill versus greenfield, I'd say, is the most significant difference.
1: And, and can, for our listeners, can you just describe the difference there?
0: Yeah. So, so infill development is uh, you, you might have a parking lot in downtown Vancouver. It's underutilized land, maybe even a gas station and, and something else uh, more significant. A, a tower, a residential mixed-use tower could go on that site instead. So I think there's a lot less environmental constraints around that kind of development. And the infrastructure, such as, such as roads and sewers, is already in place. Whereas in greenfield development, you need, to, you need to put the infrastructure in. You need new roads, you need new sewers, and someone's got to pay for that. Uh, you need new transit, for instance, and that tends to be the, the primary difference. Also, greenfield development is generally on the outskirts of the city, whereas infield development is the city core and, and established areas.
2: So Adrian, a lot of people talk about the similarities between Sydney and Vancouver, um, can you highlight some of those similarities for us?
0: Yeah, I think number one is they're both top tier cities in the world to live on. And if you look at the quality of life and most livable cities in the world, it's frequently Vancouver up there with cities like Sydney and Melbourne, uh, usually in the top three, and maybe some Scandinavian cities. Geographically, Sydney is constrained like Vancouver. It's got national parks to the north and south, and mountains to to the west of Sydney. Obviously, it's on the Pacific Ocean, so it does have a constrained land supply as well. And politically and economically, I think they're very similar. Uh, they're both within parliamentary democracies from the Westminster system. Uh, they have a lot of immigration. Sydney's the, the gateway of the Pacific to Australia, probably the largest port area. And Vancouver, uh, similar with Canada's the gateway, uh, the Pacific gateway as well. So they're very similar cities in, in those respects.
1: Well, hold on, Adrian, because I'm just trying to think, just want to flesh that out a bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'd say Canada has a, currently has a, about an immigration quota of around 300,000 people. Toronto is, is Canada's biggest city and is, I would say, what you would call an alpha global city. And most immigrants would tend to be attracted to Toronto and Canada. But Vancouver is a far better city as well uh, in terms of lifestyle. So a lot of those immigrants that are coming to Canada after Toronto, they tend to be coming to Vancouver.
1: And the equivalent of Toronto is is... Is Sydney closer to Vancouver and Melbourne, Toronto, or, or how does that play out?
0: I think as far as global cities go in terms of that city being a financial center, I think Sydney is closer to Toronto. But mm-hmm. in terms of livability and geography, I think Sydney is closer to Vancouver than Toronto.
1: Well, and this speaks to, we were in touch via email before and you were talking about the difference in terms of salaries in in sydney and uh in vancouver and and there's a huge disparity can you speak to that a bit
0: it's uh yeah it's quite quite significant and it maybe i could start on minimum wage to begin with uh, i think a lot of the the current debate in vancouver about a so-called housing crisis maybe it's not as much as the housing crisis as people think but for people who are choosing between pay, paying their rent or buying buying food putting food on the table and buying clothes uh, if you look at that minimum wage gap uh, in B.C., it's $10.85 per hour, which roughly works out to $16.27 a month. Uh, so when, when you have important things to buy, like food and clothes and, and tra- transportation, for instance, you don't have a lot of money left over to pay the rent. And I, th- I think that's a significant issue in B.C., Whereas in Australia, the minimum wage is actually uh, about 80% higher than what it is in Vancouver. It's $18.29 per hour, uh, which works oh. out to roughly $1,000 more per month that minimum wage employees make in Sydney versus Vancouver. So after all the essentials are bought, they have more money left over for for low-income housing or, or potentially renting in a nicer area to begin with. So that's minimum wage. I, I think often in the, the affordability debate in Vancouver, the focus there's a lot on supply and demand issues, but no one's actually talking about the wage issue. From my perspective, uh, it's not about minimum wage, it's, it's just professional salaries in Vancouver. I immigrated here. I tend to have a lot of friends that are also expats from other parts of the world, like New Zealand and South Africa and England as well. It seems pretty, pretty common uh, amongst our various professions that salaries tend to also be quite lower and less competitive in Vancouver, compared to Sydney uh, and other places like Melbourne and Auckland, for instance.
2: So is part of that that Sydney has maybe the infrastructure, the economy of of a city like Toronto?
0: I think that's primarily the case. Uh, They're both larger cities. They have large financial sectors uh, and, and other industries as well. I think Vancouver is really lacking that competitive edge. Although I wouldn't say that's fair across all industries. If you look at technology, for instance, there are a lot of tech companies moving to Vancouver. There's also tech companies in San Francisco and Sydney and, and other places. But if you're going to compare the, the, the salary of a tech worker in Sydney or San Francisco versus Vancouver, you're, you're going to see they're going to get paid a lot more as well. Uh, so they, they are high-paying jobs relative to, to what you might be getting, other people might be getting paid in the, in the local economy of Vancouver. But on a, on a competitive, global competitiveness scale, uh, a lot lower.
2: So, Adrian, to give our listeners an idea of of the costs for housing in Sydney, can we talk a little bit about the similarities? Like, what would be a benchmark price or um, some approximate costs of housing in Sydney?
0: Sure. I I did look into that uh, in rental and ownership. Uh, For instance, if you're going to be renting a a bedroom in in Vancouver, in the city of Vancouver, uh, you you might have all seen the numbers. They're about, it's just over $2,000 a month Mm -hmm. to rent a one bedroom. Uh, One bedroom in Sydney is for a basic, One bedroom, I'd say about $2,600, but for for a quality one, it would be over $3,000. So that's a higher price band than than Vancouver for sure. Mm -hmm. If you're going to look to buy in Sydney in a desirable neighbourhood versus Vancouver, and I'm trying to compare where I used to live in Bondi Beach versus Kitsilano, I think they're the most similar. They're both close to the the CBDs uh, and and obviously very nice uh, suburbs. So you can buy a two-bedroom, uh, condo in Kits on Cornwell, built in about 1974, and they're asking 768,000. I just I saw this on the MLS the other day. And that's expensive, and and it's right across the the street from the beach, obviously. But the, the equivalent at Bondi Beach in Sydney, about 15 minutes drive from the the central business district, you wouldn't be able to find anything less than 1.2 million in in the vicinity of that suburb. In the vicinity of the beach um and and most two-bedroom 1974 apartments in bono beach tend to go between 1.2 and 2 million dollars so substantially higher than the asking price in a nice place like Kitsilano.
2: wow so interesting um what about right now in in a market like sydney are we are they trending upwards are prices stable right now or
0: so sydney's been trending upwards for a long time I, I can't remember when they've trended backwards. They might have had a negative quarter here and there. I think what's driving that though is immigration and, and demand to the city, and I, I don't think there's any, any stopping that. I think more and more supply has been coming on in Sydney since uh, planning regulations were, were reformed in that city, uh, for instance. But there's, there's there is a lot of immigration, and that's going to continue to drive the market there.
1: So just thinking about that. Adrian, very similar to Vancouver in terms of immigration and desirability, but the wage gap is a key difference here. So do you see that in terms of moving forward? Just obviously, this is an opinion in the next five, 10, 15 years. Do you see the same type of trends in Vancouver or do you think that 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 disparity is going to be a, a big factor?
0: I like to think of Vancouver as a miniature version of Sydney. It's what Sydney was maybe 20 years ago in terms of population size. I definitely think minimum wage is going to change, and I know it's in the NDP uh, platform as well. They, They intend to, according to the platform, increase minimum wage to $15, which is still going to be substantially less than what you'd be making in Sydney. But I think it is a good start. I think as the city grows, and if you look at it, I think by 2030, if you look at the regional growth strategy, by 2030, the metro region's meant to grow by another million people or so. I think as the city grows, salaries will increase, but they are substantially behind these other global cities already, and, and they have a lot, a lot of catching up to do. I think while they're waiting to catch up, I would speculate that, that prices are going to continue increasing based on population growth through immigration and, and natural population growth
2: as well so adrian so you were talking about uh some of the prices in bondi beach and um you know we're still looking at multi-million dollar homes and you would imagine that even with larger salaries larger wages sydney still has to be largely unaffordable for a lot of people is that the case
0: yeah certainly is i it's not a city without its affordability issues and, and nor would Melbourne be uh, or, or a lot of these desirable cities in Western countries such as Canada and Australia. I do think there are a set amount of fixed costs of living that don't really change between Sydney and Auckland and, and London and, and Vancouver, whether that's food going out, entertainment, transportation, car insurance. You've got to account for all these fixed costs. And while uh, an apartment in Bondi Beach might be more expensive, when you look at Uh, The loan-to-value ratio uh, that someone can achieve on a much higher salary, it seems to justify the price.
1: In terms of policies, I'm kind of interested in policies in in Australia to battle unaffordability and then also the politics of it, Mm -hmm. if these are similar.
0: No, they're they're completely different. Um, If you look at how planning and approvals are done in Metro Vancouver, it's done on a municipal-by-municipal base basis, uh, whereas in New South Wales, uh, which Sydney is the, cap- this is the state, Sydney is the capital, the state government actually sets the planning rules. Municipalities are still in charge of approving, but in terms of strategic planning and, and zoning and the, the whole planning system is set by uh, state legislation. They have a department of planning and municipalities are held closely to account to make sure they're, they're building enough supply and meeting housing targets. You don't have that in Vancouver. Every municipality's got its own system, its own system of CACs and what it charges developers to build, and its own system of rezonings and and how they they go through the rezoning process. And I think that is really what is slowing supply on the market in in this region uh, versus Sydney, which is a a city that's had a a lot of new supply come on in the last
2: few years. So Adrian, you've, speaking of supply, so you've worked with a lot of developers and in that world, how difficult, like in contrast from Vancouver to Sydney, do you see Sydney as being easier to get large developments through? And also, like it. It, it does sound like it, but also um, like the housing permit process, you know, in Vancouver, we're dealing with six month waits on DPs, six to eight months wait. Yeah. Um, what about uh, in Sydney, if I was to build a new house, is that, is that common or?
0: No. So what you'll have in Sydney and and the municipalities in Greater Sydney, they do the strategic planning and pre-zoning. They identify new transit corridors, for instance, where density is going to occur. And they have to do that and submit their their plans. They call local environmental plans to the state government for approval. And if the targets aren't high enough, the state government will tell them to to amend that uh, before finally approving the plan. So effectively what you have by municipality basis in Sydney is pre-zoning. So that would be the longest hold up in in the Vancouver context. Uh, I don't think it matters what municipality you go to around here. But the city of Vancouver, for instance, you have a system of spot rezoning held up by the the nature of the consultation process, but also by the the CAC negotiation process as well. And that really slows down. I think it's, what, five to eight years to get a rezoning in Vancouver. It really slows down the, the planning process and new supply coming on. Sydney also have this, New South Wales have legislation that is called compliant development. So essentially land is pre-zoned by the city and if you're building a house that meets the strict criteria of compliance such as setbacks, building height in an area, basic parking requirements, things like that, uh, you can have a private certifier come out, certify your plans and you can start building, I think, within within a couple of weeks. Uh, and that would be more like the development permit process here though, that you said takes eight to, to ten months. Larger projects still need to go through that process, and it probably takes an equivalent amount of time. So, for larger projects, what really slows you down in Vancouver is is probably the rezoning process.
1: So, so just in this is all very interesting stuff. I'm thinking Vancouver obviously has a series of bottlenecks in the mm-hmm. development process, and most people, or at least a lot of people, uh, are pointing to supply as an issue with affordability. It sounds like Definitely. Sydney has this under control yet prices are still quite a bit higher. I'm just thinking about the you know, the compare and contrast here. So is there any kind of lessons to glean from this about supply and demand and affordability?
0: Yeah, I think that comes back to our, our conversation on immigration, but also on salaries. So you're right, higher salaries do have an impact in a place like Sydney because the capacity to buy and compete with other buyers is greater. Sydney also has a lot more immigrants than Vancouver. So Sydney will be getting 100,000 people, uh, new immigrants a year. Uh, Vancouver's getting about 30 35,000. So there's naturally more people, and there is more supply coming on, but the population growth in Sydney, uh, which is a city of almost 6 million people, is, is a lot more significant uh, than, than it is in Vancouver. I would say the, the infrastructure in Sydney probably needs to be upgraded as well, and the infrastructure costs Related to greenfield development, add a bit of cost to new housing, but all in all, I think I think immigration is, is a key driver and uh, the, the salary differential there.
1: So obviously, last summer we had the foreign buyers tax, and we've talked about it a lot on the podcast. But swirling around that tax was a lot of xenophobia and uh, yeah. anti-immigration uh, comments, especially in the comment sections of uh, Facebook and everywhere else on the newspaper yeah. sites. Does Sydney have the Sydney and I guess Australia more broadly have the same issues? Uh,
0: I, I think I think when it comes to foreign buyers, a lot of the racism. So I, I am technically a foreign buyer. Uh, my friends from from uh, Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa and England—they're all foreign buyers as well. But I think in Vancouver, it really was focused on on people from from mainland China. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have. Policies in place to protect the local market in Sydney and, and Australia generally, versus offshore buyers, which I think is a tiny percentage of the market. More focused on the luxury high end. So if you're if you're an offshore mainland Chinese buyer spending 40 million dollars on a luxury property in Sydney, you have to get approval from the federal government uh, and their Foreign Investment Review Board. And that doesn't apply to new housing though, because investors, whether they're offshore or local. Uh, stimulate development and, and add to the supply. But they are kind of similar conversations, but I think it's, it's a bit more uh, pronounced in Vancouver for sure.
2: What does that process look like with the Foreign Review Board?
0: Yeah, so so if uh, you're a foreign buyer, whether you're from China or um, say Canada buying in Sydney, uh, and you're buying a $40 million property, you will, with your agent, uh, lodge paperwork with the Foreign Investment Review Board. They're going to want to know how you're funding uh, the property, uh, where where, you, where the money's coming from, uh, and they'll base their approval on that. Typically, I, I think it's irregular that they would not approve a purchase like that, but it really depends on the individual and their financial circumstances.
2: Okay, so it sounds almost like our our Fintrack process.
0: I um, think it's very similar, yeah. Very similar.
2: Okay, so Adrian, so who are the who are the offshore buyers in Australia typically?
0: Well, I know in the Vancouver discussion, the focus tends to be on mainland China. I I actually don't think that's the case. I think there's immigrants from all over the world, uh, whether they're Chinese or from Western Europe or the Middle East uh, or or other Asian countries, uh, South America as well. They're they're from all over the place. I think the mainland Chinese tend to be more visible, maybe, perhaps, and maybe they're buying the more expensive properties in in the news. But I think it's really unfair to, to say that represents foreign buyers. It's the same in Sydney. It's, uh, Sydney is a global city. There are a lot of English people in Sydney, English and Irish. Uh, it, it seems to be the thing to when you when you graduate university in London to, to spend a gap year in, in Sydney. A lot of them stay on. I played ice hockey in Australia. I played with a lot of Canadians who, who've lived in Australia for, for a long time and, and they're, they're foreign buyers as well. There are obviously a, a, a lot of Chinese. There's also a lot of Japanese as well. Uh, so I think it's a, it's a real mix. But I wouldn't want to pigeonhole any particular uh, nation right. as a foreign buyer. I think everyone is a foreign buyer. Right.
1: So Adrian, switching gears a, a little bit here, um, in the news in the last couple of days, there's been a lot of talk about rental stock here in Vancouver and, and mm-hmm. the crisis over rents. Is there a similar issues in Sydney? Like, it sounds like there's a lot more supply in terms of, sure. but the rents sound high uh, to me. Is there a rental crisis in Sydney?
0: I wouldn't say it's a rental crisis, and prices are higher, uh, but the capacity to pay those prices are also greater, yeah. uh, like we discussed. But yeah. what you might have seen in the news recently um, with discussion around this topic of inclusionary zoning, uh, that that has been around for a long time in, in Sydney planning circles, uh, and And the perspective of of the industry uh, back when I was working for for the Urban Development Institute of Australia was that inclusionary zoning is a a disincentive for developers to invest in that particular type of product. Capital doesn't have to stay in a a city like Vancouver. It can go to Burnaby. It can go to Coquitlam. uh, It can go to other nearby areas, and if inclusionary zoning affects the financials behind and, and, and the risk appetite of a developer they'll, they'll often look to build out a product and in the end I don't think it adds a substantially greater amount of rental supply, which is nobly is, is what the city might be looking for, but the market might have other uh, other opinions on that.
1: And maybe we'll finish up with one question uh, about the process of buying. We've heard that real estate auctions are commonplace in, in Australia. I'm not is that actually correct? And you call us estate agents? We also heard that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. So, so in, in a market like Sydney, uh, which is a very popular market, auctions tend to be uh, the way to go. And a seller will set a reserve price. Now, uh, if it's anything below that, they, they're not going to sell their property. Uh, and it's advertised. And they, they're, they're great, great thing to attend. They're a lot of fun. And, and, and people get to, to see the bidding process firsthand. It's very transparent. In slower markets, and and I would point to other cities in in Australia that might have a slow market, uh, such as Brisbane or Perth, auctions tend to be less common because the demand is just not there. Uh, and that they'll go through the typical sales process, similar to what, what you've seen in Vancouver. Just
1: trying to imagine what these auctions look like. Is it a real estate agent and their client sort of sitting side by side? Or is it just the real estate agents? Or are these people unrepresented? How does it work?
0: So, so you'll, you'll have an auctioneer, a professional auctioneer that, that is good at calling an auction. Uh, people can show up to the auction. They're advertised. They can show up uh, unsupported by a real estate agent. They might have a buyer's agent. Uh, the seller will definitely have their agent who, who organized the auctioneer. They typically end up on the front yard of the house. Uh, there might be a barbecue beforehand. There's a lot of profile around it um, and and a lot a lot of discussion. And it's, it's a pretty competitive situation. But I think it gets the best market price or really shows you what the market price of a property is. Wow. Um, but it's uh yeah it, it's it's great it can be it can be stressful though uh, for buyers if you're competing against uh, a lot of a lot of other prospective purchases but at least you know what they're bidding and yeah I was going to say that's the high.
1: the big thing that in multiple offer situations in in my experience the worst situation is when you're kind of five or eight or ten k below what it ended up selling for and you're like oh my god so often you hear people say I would have actually paid that and you're like well we didn't know, didn't write it down, that type of thing. this gives that kind of full transparency, where where you can, you know, you're never going to be left ma- making a decision that you don't understand. You know where everybody else is, right?
0: Absolutely. If you're if you're only ten thousand dollars behind at the end of the day, and it's your dream property, if you if you dig a bit deeper or, or ask family for a loan, well, it, you should be able to find that, that, that amount of money, and you can get the the property you want. But I, I think not having that system would make it more likely that, that you're missing out on your, your preferred home.
2: Just thinking about that, do you think that Australia does a better job at being more transparent just overall in, in the real estate industry?
0: Yeah. You know, one, one thing when it comes to transparency, if you look at community amenity contributions, I know in, in cities like Burnaby and Coquitlam, they're quite transparent and they're a fixed cost per extra square foot of density. But if you're negotiating in private, uh, behind closed doors, someone from the real estate department in the city of Vancouver with a developer. How do they reach that, that conclusion uh, and what influence does that have on the, the approval of the project going forward? Um, it's not transparent and it's not accountable. It's not accountable to, to the voters in Vancouver and residents. Uh, so that, that is a real problem and I, I don't see that in Sydney.
1: Interesting. We'll leave it there, Adrian, but we do have the five wire. Yeah. Uh, can you stick around for that?
0: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> All right.
2: So first question, what's your favorite area in Vancouver?
0: Well, oh, that's a good one. I would say I, I lived in the West End for a couple of years, uh, and I always liked going down to Third Beach, uh, especially on a Tuesday night when they have the drum circle. Uh, but Third Beach would be, would be my favorite.
1: Favorite bar or restaurant?
0: I don't know if you, know, you guys know this one, uh, the Wicklow uh, down at Stamps Landing. Best sun—it's it's an Irish pub, but they also have the best uh, patio and sunset in Vancouver, I think. Anyway,
2: wow, yeah, Braden is whispering something to me, but uh, uh, so, speak so up, one, Brady D. It's that one down at
0: Mahoney and uh, like right next. Yeah, to right, right next to
2: Mahoney. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You
1: know, Brady D. The, uh, the is local, our...
0: the local sailors will go to go to that. Mahoney's came along after, but
1: uh, yeah, I'm number one Wicklow fan. Wow, right on uh, <laughs> <laughs> downtown Pantos or Westside Mansion.
0: I would probably have to go with the downtown penthouse uh, just to be more in uh, the thick of the action in the city. I think the west side is a bit quiet for my liking. (laughs)
2: Um, Where do you bring, (laughs) you must have people from Australia come out and visit you, where do you, what's the first place that you bring somebody from out of town?
0: All the time. And it's a, it's a long flight. It's about 14 and a half hours to, to fly from Sydney direct to Vancouver. Uh, and usually I have to get up early to pick them up at the airport. So, first place after I pick them up at the airport, we will stop at 49th Parallel Coffee uh, on 4th and U Street in Kits. Uh, get a, a good coffee and, and maybe a donut before we head up, head up on our drive back to Squamish. Nice.
2: Nice. And last question we, we'd be amiss if we didn't ask you a, an Australian specific question. Tracky Dax or budgie smugglers?
0: <laughs> gonna, and I'm what's I'm a budgie
1: with, smuggler? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing Tracky <laughs> Dax right now. but
0: A budgie smuggler is like a speedo and, uh, and oh, everyone's okay. all really proud to wear them uh, at the beach and in public places. Uh, I, I would have to go with budgie smuggler. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty confident. I'd, I'd,
1: you have to prefer the
0: bad
2: news, <laughs> You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, Adrian. Do you, do you have a place that, people, that you can send people f- to find out more? Yeah, I mean, everything you said is really fascinating. Do you have a blog or anything you want to share?
0: Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm not presently in the real estate industry per se. Um, I, I work in oil and gas. Um, but for those that are interested in contacting, contacting me, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, so, so maybe uh, search in LinkedIn for my name, just Adrian Byrne, uh, Vancouver. I, I should show up and uh, feel free to add me and uh, love to grab a coffee.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Well, hey, thanks so much for your time, Adrian, and thanks for, uh, you know, we were back and forth a few times via email, and thanks for reaching out. This has been fantastic.
0: No worries, guys. Keep up the good work.
1: Okay, thanks. (laughs) Take care. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Adrian Byrne. Would you call him a keen real estate observer?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, well, and former industry specialist, uh, specialist, right? right? Yeah, for sure. Definitely knows a ton about real estate. He's definitely engaged. Fantastic interview. Matt, what was your
1: biggest takeaway? Yeah, I mean, my biggest takeaway from our discussion with Adrian is, I mean, places like, say, Sydney and Vancouver seem so alike in so many ways, but there's that one difference. And it's the average salary, right? That people in Sydney make a lot more money than people in Vancouver. And that's, to me, always the X factor in Vancouver. Uh, and it doesn't seem to have uh, changed the dynamics of this market so far, but we we compare ourselves to Hong Kong, right. London, New York, Sydney. And, you know, the difference here is that the average salary or the average wage doesn't at all reflect real estate prices. And, and sure. you know, long-term what's going to happen there um i think it's anyone's guess i think yeah. we're in uncharted territory really no absolutely
2: super interesting matt so adam what was your big takeaway you know i mean even considering how similar the two countries are there's some really wild differences you yeah know. like in terms of wages yeah i mean uh budgie smugglers versus <laughs> banana hammocks <laughs> oh, that, uh, those differences. tracky dacks versus track pants yeah. Uh, yeah lots of differences you know yeah, and yeah, i mean yeah uh you know we have the beaver they have the didgeridoo yeah yeah exactly exactly um <laughs> but you know it's interesting it, it reminds me of that time matt that you actually thought that the lyrics This is not true this, this is, is true, true this is true you thought the lyrics were he just smiled and gave me a bite of his sandwich uh, yeah, yeah yeah it's veggie sandwich uh, I don't know if that's actually Braden. I think it's pronounced Vegemite. <laughs> thank, thank you, Braden. That's now we have went from uh, joking to offensive. <laughs> that's, that's real pronunciation. Is that? Is uh, that uh, whoa, Brady uh, D, Brady All right, D. but Matt, hey, listen, we've got we've got private client services. Yeah, yeah. Uh, check out our website vancouverrealestatepodcast.com slash pcs and sign up for the best. Search tool on the market for real estate listings in Vancouver.
1: That is for sure. If you're not using PCS, you're not doing it right. And we offer it no. free of charge No obligations, but uh, do leave your number because I I love to check in with people. Just make sure that that search criteria is set up the way it should be so you're optimizing your search.
2: Absolutely. And just just to remind everybody, you get listing updates usually about 36 to 72 hours before public MLS. You also get sold prices, days on market, basically just realtor level information. If you're not using PCS, you're basically standing still while the rest of us are uh, light jogging.
1: Yeah, exactly. So there you go for a pitch. <laughs> that, How do you like that pitch? Yeah. Speaking sorry. of pitches, we should remind you again, we do have a listings promotion to the end of 2017. Yep. Get in touch with us for the best service, the best strategy, and the best promotion. Yeah. You're going to see if you list your property at the latter half of this year. And finally, Matt,
2: we do have our reviews drive. We got one spot left for the prize. We've got 10 people entered in to win an amazing prize that I'm looking at in my living room
1: right now. True story. I was out with uh, a podcast listener this last week okay. looking at a property. And it was kind of funny. We finished. We're talking about the property. It's like, all right, take care. And he's like, hey, just uh, got a question for you quick. Yeah. What's the uh, gift? <laughs> Square. That happened That happened. you know what I said Have you reviewed the podcast yet <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly
2: you gotta review the podcast it's uh it's great
1: yeah, it's great so anyway get in touch with me if you have any questions apart from uh, what the gift is seven seven eight eight four seven two eight five four or matt at vancouver dot com or try me at seven seven eight
2: eight six six four five seven four or Adam at vancouver dot com Papa Dom info at vancouver real com Excellent. Well hey guys have a great week and we'll see you next time.
1: Yeah. Take care. Enjoy uh the rest of August.
0: He just smiled and gave me a bitch of micro sandwich. I've come from a land of London. Subscribe today.
2: Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419.
1: We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy,